Welcome to the Future Built Smarter, a podcast in which IMIG engineers discuss innovative and trend-setting building and infrastructure design with architects, owners, and others in the AEC industry. I'm your host, Joe Payne, and today's topic is acuity adaptability. This is a model of healthcare delivery that has actually been around for quite some time, but uh, most recently has garnered a lot more interest in relation to what we have experienced because of the COVID pandemic. And so two of uh, my guests today um, are IMEG cohorts. Mike Zorich is our National Director of Healthcare, and uh, Mike is also a mechanical engineer. And Mike, you've uh, been with us for about 20 years. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I've, uh, we're coming along my uh, work anniversary here in a couple months. So uh, all of my years here at IMEG have been uh, within the healthcare industry. Very good. And uh, our other uh, guest here from IMEG is Corey Gardy. Corey is a biomedical engineer and also a healthcare information technology specialist. Corey, welcome. Thank you very much, Joe. Appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, both Mike and Corey uh, recently co-authored an executive guide on acuity adaptability, and uh, a lot of what we're talking here today can also be read about in that guide. But what you can't get in the guide is our guest today, Aaron Clark. Aaron is a clinical operations specialist and runs Clark RN Consulting. Aaron, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, you bet. We are happy to have you. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and, and what it is that, that you specialize in? Sure. Um, so I'm a registered nurse by background and spent um, about the first eight years of my career working in a number of different hospitals, different environments, different patient populations and acuity levels. And um, what I started to understand was how important the built environment was to how we deliver care. And so I currently work as a clinical operations specialist uh, with Clark RN. And we work with organizations as they design and transition into new healthcare facilities, really focusing on marrying the operations with the built environment. So that's really where I live. <laughs> okay, great, great. So um, Aaron's going to gonna fill in that perspective with our conversation today, uh, which, uh, Mike, I'll kick it back to you to give a lay of the land on acuity adaptability and, and why now uh, it is receiving such a lot of attention. Yeah, when when you think about acuity adaptability, I think it's first important to go back to the, the traditional delivery of care model for healthcare, which is really centered around transferring of the patient, whether that's transferring within different rooms of the hospital, different uh, departments, or even uh, different hospitals to be treated by different specialists, you know, as, as care improves or, or worsens. What acuity adaptability does is it, it's the total opposite. It's a model where the patient remains in the same room from admission to discharge, and all the care is brought directly to that patient. You know, some of the benefits, um, you know, it improves the patient experience, uh, both for the patient and the family. You know, second, you know, fewer clinical handoffs, you know, or transfers, and this could be, uh, all these transfers and handoffs can lead to medication errors, uh, potential patient falls. And then also from a cost standpoint, uh, you know, fewer budgeted nursing hours per bed, and there's also studies that show that, you know, more patient days per bed without an increase of your overall uh, bed base. So a lot of benefits that, that can be uh, brought in by this, this type of model. But as you mentioned, it is not something that's new. It has been around. Uh, health systems have talked about it, but there's been this uh, re re-energization of this, you know, uh, with the recent pandemic, uh, the traditional delivery model has really not been stressed any time before as it has been. So a lot of health systems are starting to talk about the need for flexibility, looking for different models uh, of delivering care. And this is where the acuity adaptability discussion uh, is occurring. 
Now, obviously, Aaron, you bring an interesting perspective from, from the clinical side, um, but from your clinical perspective in managing units prior to and during the COVID response, you know, what operational benefits do you see for this model of care? That's a great question. I think along with a lot of the other um, ways of delivering care, COVID's really kind of enlightened us to some of the things that need to be built into not only the built environment, but the operations of a hospital in order to create that flexibility. So um, from a COVID standpoint, um, the really, the, the biggest thing here is being able to keep the patient in one location. Um, I think you talked to, you know, a little bit about some of the uh, benefits of, of using an acuity adaptable model. And one of the things that you really look for when you're exploring this option as an organization is how do you balance the patient experience, the patient safety, and then the staff experience. So as we started looking at the isolation procedures and the maintenance and co-location of COVID patients, um, irregardless of their uh, other um, comorbidities or other disease processes going on, really it was how do we get, how do we bring the care to the COVID patient as we create these isolated units and be able to deliver the same quality of care? And so one of the things that, that obviously I think is pretty straightforward is, you know, the, the less you have to move a patient throughout the hospital, the less there is a risk for any transmission um, of these pathogens. And so uh, being able to keep them in one room is obviously going to help with that. The second thing is from a staffing perspective, when a patient's on the same unit, they see the same care members, the care team members, and you really decrease the number of different people who would need to enter that room in order to take care of that patient. So you may see the same nurse for three days in a row during the day and the same nurse for three nights in a row uh, versus moving from unit to unit where you'd have a different set of care deli delivery team members that would be taking care of that patient. And the third really is the uh, communication. I think particularly in the beginning when we weren't entirely sure about how to take care of the COVID patient, we were really learning as we go. And so with the uh, the ability to keep the patient there and bring the care team to, you know, a, a, the same care team as much as possible. There's really, you decrease the risk of communication errors. And when you hand off and transfer between units and between nurses and providers, as well as ancillary and support staff, looking at physical therapy and social work and those. So it's really that the ability to uh, create continuity of care um, decrease the risk for errors and obviously decrease the risk for potential transmission of any infectious pathogens as you're moving patients throughout the hospital. So I think those are some of the big ones we really saw. Um, and again, like you said, this this idea isn't new. It's just that um, organizations prior to COVID had the option of how they implemented it. When COVID hits, you really don't have that option anymore. You You need to be able to implement it. So I think it really kind of came to the forefront, like you had mentioned previously. Great, great. You know, Corey, from, from the built environment standpoint, what challenges do you see with the Acuity Adaptable model? Oh, I get, I get the fun one, huh? It's always <laughs> the, the, the downside of this. So um, I think some of the challenges from the built environment, um, we'll start with kind of the, the, the easy one, is just the size of the room. Um, you know, how is it going to be able to accommodate uh, a different levels of care, whether it be, you know, a med surge to step down to all the way potentially up to an ICU level? Um, I think that the the easiest is we can build it um, to whatever, you know, accommodation, but really what is that magic size and magic bullet? Um, obviously, you know, the, the footprint of clinical care space is extremely valuable in the environment. So what other impacts could that potentially have onto a floor um, reduction of space, potentially even for the staff, uh, for other, you know, supply elements as well. 
Um, kind of building upon that, though, too, is just the operations model from the, the, the supplies. Um, you know, what level of um, everything from PPE to meds to just general, um, you know, equipment, you know, how, how is that going to be either handled on the floor locally, um, in the rooms potentially? Um, obviously, there's been a lot of evolution of the, the nurse stations and rooms versus exterior to the room, meds to beds. Um, there's a whole different level of complexity that, that you know, needs to be considered into that. Um, I, I think the other element too, obviously from the mechanicals into the, just the environmental controls, um, it is a different model. Um, you know, basically every room would need to be have, you know, the ability to go from positive to isolate, excuse me, positive to negative pressure on a, on a given instance. So how does that play into energy efficiencies, et cetera? Um, but I think the biggest challenge and, and, you know, Aaron alluded to it a little bit is just the staffing models, um, and the operational elements associated with that is that, you know, how, is this going to be a new nurse that, um, you know, he or she may be uh, trained in different types of specialties versus just an IC level nurse? It's a whole different acumen of, 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 of credentials and, and experiences. And the same thing on the provider side, you could say they make the same argument on the, on the pharmacies um, to respiratory therapies, et cetera. There's just a, a very large operational model to support that. Not saying it can't be done, but I think it's, it's evaluating, you know, not only, you know, from a resource perspective, a fiscally perspective of, of what can be done. Yeah, and I think you hit on it a little bit. The the design, the space, that that's probably the easy part. It's maybe right. that that operational and how do how do we how do we make sure that we achieve that? Yep. So if going all in on acuity adaptability isn't feasible for every healthcare facility, uh, Aaron, I wonder, are there any in-between solutions or as Mike likes to call it, acuity adaptability light that might be more achievable for healthcare systems? I like that acuity adaptability light term because I think that's probably what most organizations end up adopting. Um, unfortunately, this isn't really a one-size-fits-all model and every organization is going to have its own unique um, you know, things that are going to prevent it from implementing it the same way that another organization does. One of the things that they'll really drive how an organization approaches this and what they end up um, doing in the end is really going to be the, the volumes that they see um, and the service lines that they see and, and really what that, that population mix is in order to be able to figure out the best um, delivery model. And so the, as we look at, you know, a 600 bed hospital is going to have a lot easier time delineating services and acuity levels because they're going to have a lot more patients that fit that criteria versus a small community hospital of 100 beds where they actually may not even have that option, really, from a staffing perspective and things, you have to be able to take care of whatever comes through that door, because those are, you know, those are those are the patients you're going to be seeing. So there really is a huge spectrum of what how this really can be adopted. Um, I've also seen organizations where sometimes it's just by service line, very specific service lines that um, would be able to fit that model on one unit that would not be able to fit that model on a different unit. And so um, really, you're going to see variation everywhere. And, and they've, they've done research on it now. There's, there's a lot of good information out there and a lot of good case studies and with um, some good data that organizations can use to help at least um, guide them in that direction. I do think, though, from what I've seen and from the research, it does sound like a full-blown acuity-adaptable ICU to discharge is really, I mean, unless you're a teeny tiny hospital, um, it, I, I've never seen that um, with all the organizations that I've worked with. Typically, the ICU is still going to be your dedicated 
high acuity with um, staff that have very specific competencies to be able to take care of that patient. Oftentimes we'll see flex staffing um, and, and, and cross training and that sort of thing. But in terms of patient location and moving, you, you'll still typically see, you know, an ICU move to a step down and actually transfer the unit. What we do see more often, and I think, you know, you guys probably speak better to this is, you know, how do we build the layout so that that, that, you know, we're, we're not moving patients all over the hospital. We're really just running them down the road, even though it's technically a different unit, right? So that kind of horizontal versus vertical layout, when you look at planning and this type of model really need to have that conversation at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and along those fronts, Aaron, what we're seeing with the acute adaptive light is, is looking at your typical med surge patient room versus an ICU and, and having the discussion to say, how much more infrastructure or what little steps could I get to at least make it adaptable? And that, that's maybe those incremental type steps where it isn't that huge push to get towards the fully adaptable. Now that goes back to, it goes back to that nursing model and make sure it's, it's different that the, the staff is prepared to treat a patient under you know, ICU uh, uh, conditions versus the med surge. But those are kind of those, those small baby steps towards this that we are, we are seeing it. You know, Corey, from your perspective, what are you thinking from that? Well, I, I, just to build upon that, I mean, because it's, you know, I say tongue in cheek, it's probably a little bit easier for some, you know, urban dense, you know, organizations to do that just because of the staff, staff mix and, and patient population. But, you know, just curious of, you know, if there's the, the, the light model where, you know, newer organizations, whether it be rural or critical access, that they're going to do that basic, you know, every room is going to have the ability to, to switch to a negative isolation room, right? And, and you know, you do have the, the, the capacity to bring in the technology, but it's going to cross a certain threshold that if it does go to a, a level of ICU that they would be, you know, be able to be transferred to another organization or potentially within the same, you know, four walls preferably. But at a minimum, they could go up to a certain level of care um, without having to transfer that patient and hopefully, you know, decrease uh, you know, the, the, the acuity and, and, and still provide that, that higher quality in a acuity adaptable light model, if you will. Yeah. I, I think one of the biggest challenges I'm hearing from my clients related to full acuity adaptability is you're already designing and preparing for the highest level of acuity. Therefore, in theory, I'm already over-designing, I'm over-preparing, I'm, I'm, I'm going over budget because I'm trying to provide for the highest acuity adaptability. So that is something from a design and construction standpoint and from a budgeting standpoint, a lot of people have a challenge with because, yeah. you know, we have been, you know, trained within healthcare is, is to how do we, you know, maximize the dollar, you know, health systems are, are being pressured uh, with such low margins. Let's not overbuild, let's not overdesign. Let's make sure, you know, obviously patient safety, staff safety is going to be critical and always going to be, but let's not throw undue cost as we need to. Um, you know, I guess, Aaron, from, from, you know, a staff perspective, you know, what other pushback do you see from staffs towards this approach and um, what measures or, or, you know, indicators would make it more palatable for, for, a, uh, for a clinical staff? This is also a really fun question. Um, not only um, living in a number of environments who have done this, but also working with organizations, you know, as they, as they plan this, because there is, um, you will get staff pushback. Uh, not, ev not every staff member is going to want to change the type of patient that they're taking care of, particularly if they've been there for a number of years. Um, and so it, it's a huge change for the organization. And um, a couple of things that we've seen that works well is one, the, the, the buy-in from the leadership to really support the staff and support the training required 
um, to be able to handle a different type of patient acuity or different type of patient population, depending on how the service line placement really irons out. And um, and I, I think that really implementing a change management program um, in tandem with this operational change is really important. Um, so that again, the, fa- the staff feels supported and there's really an approach to how you communicate with them, with how you allow um, the hours and the, you know, to not only train them, but also the shifts to be able to go and observe and to uh, precept with other nurses who are taking, really get that kind of peer-to-peer type training that, that you oftentimes don't get in the classroom, you know, those sorts of things. Um, it's a large, um, it's a big cost to the organization to train nurses. You have to pull them out of staffing, right? And then, um, you know, have them be able to, and then backfill them <laughs> with uh, other staff, right? So there's there's a lot of organization um, organizational support that needs to happen. And so, you know, certainly providing that support. The other measure that I would, because a lot of times we see this as we look at, you know, design and construction, we're always a lot of times there's an opportunity, this unique opportunity to look at our operations as we move into this brand new, super clean, no one's been in their building before, right? And so it's really an opportunity to say, okay, how would we do for things differently? And so a couple of things that um, we've seen a couple different clients do that's been helpful is one, implement a pilot unit. If you know you're going to be moving to this model, take a service line that we think would fit for this and pilot it for at least six months. Right, really collect that information from the staff because that staff is going to be able to help you better support the other staff members before they go through it. Right, and so take a unit that you know, you know, has a, a super um, flexible manager and you know, highly trained staff that that might be able to to be able to handle it better than maybe some of the other units. The other thing, and the last thing I would say about this is that um, when you're from a transition activation standpoint, when you're opening a new hospital. <laughs> There is a huge amount of stress and anxiety already that goes into moving into a new environment. So when you add on an entirely new service delivery model, I mean, you're just, you know, igniting the fire. And so what I would certainly recommend, what we've seen work um, really well is when you're designing a hospital, there's a runway of time that you know before you're going to be moving in. And so start with a pilot and then adapt this and and um, before you even move, if, you're, if your facility would allow it, right? If you have the capability from a you know, infrastructure standpoint, but really anything that's going to be, uh, that you can avoid changing on day one of opening that hospital is huge for the staff. They need to feel comfortable in their new environment. And so if there's a way to implement an acuity adaptable model prior to that and give them six or nine months to get used to it, that transition into the new facility is going to make it that much easier for an organization. Oh, great. You know, one, one of the things too, Aaron, you know, prior to COVID there was, you know, a concern about the the shortage of nurses. You know, it seems like most health facilities, you know, had a hard time, you know, recruiting uh, staff. With COVID, you know, a big concern is, is burnout uh, of our healthcare mm-hmm. providers and nurses being at the front line over the last 12 months. And it seems to be forecasting that there's going to continue to be a, a shortage of nurses. Um, do you think the acuity adaptability would help play with that uh, or help uh, address that concern going forward with staffing shortages? Or do you think, you know, it, it actually would make it even, even harder? That's a really good question. Um, I, I think, I think that with the, the, again, with, with burnout change is going to be hard. Um, you know, change is hard in and of itself. And when you already have nurses who are burnt out, um, 
I could see that being a big challenge. Um, however, I do think there is not, you know, yes, nurses are burnt out, but I also do think that this was a really interesting opportunity to create innovative solutions that got, and you know, at least some of my friends sure. who are in nursing, who are still at the bedside, got excited about, you know, they never thought they could do things this way before. And, and um, or it took forever to implement a new type of, you know, protocol for something. And now all of a sudden, it's almost like, well, we need to do what's best now. <laughs> and so there's almost this, um, you know, as, and I think different areas of the country got burnt out at different times. And I know that here in San Diego, you know, we had a big surge um, a couple of months ago, and everyone I knew was completely burnt out. And it was like, you trying to do one more thing to these nurses, these poor nurses, um, and they'd leave, they'd quit. And so um, I think there's a kind of stabilization period that needs to happen after COVID. Um, and organizations need to look at that very closely in terms of that magnitude of change or that degree of change that an acute and adaptable model would place on the nurse um, and where their level of burnout is at that time, kind of based on where their COVID shifts happened over the past year. Okay. Um, I don't think there's a right answer for that, yeah, unfortunately, sure, uh, sure. but I think it's a really, really good question to ask. And I think that a lot of organizations should be asking that. So um, very thought provoking. Yeah. I, I think your, your transitional time is, is spot on. And, and, you know, as, as we're, actively working on different clients and in, in different sizes and scopes and early design plays design phases, you're, I think you're going to see a lot more impetus into this disaster planning, right. And, and taking a whole different look at it. And, you know, you're, you're going to have the extreme cases to, to plan for the what's next. Um, but I think the operational impact and, and the staff burnout from across the board is going to be a, a really critical factor in how we're designing these spaces going forward. Um, and I, 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 you know, that, I guess the silver lining in this thing is, especially from the technology perspective, is that, you know, the, the rapid, quick adoption of some of these things and even just the changes in care models, I, I, I echo that. It's been um, incredible to see um, that a lot of that bureaucracy was finally moved and like, we just need to do it. It's right for the patients. It's right for our staff. We just need to make this happen like right away. And, you know, the mass assemblance of armies that, that really made those things happen was, uh, was ex it's, it still is exciting to see. But I mean, we're, we're definitely not past it yet. But yeah. So, so a lot of our conversations kind of centered around inpatient care. You know, Corey, do you see any way that acuity adaptability may have an effect on outpatient experiences? Yeah, uh, I do. And it, it was interesting as we, when we first embarked uh, down this, it was focused on inpatient, but obviously it's, it's continued to evolve and, and we've gotten a lot of in, insightful information from uh, organizations of, you know, large caliber sizes that manage you know, one, one organization had a backlog of 750,000 appointments to figure out how we could, you know, get those back into the system. It's, it's, it's a, it's a credible feat. Right. Um, but the, the, the outpatient world is in the design space is definitely changing. And I think telemedicine is, is a great example of where that's going to be playing an active role, um, into the ambulatory setting where, um, you might be a primary care physician, but you can bring in a cardiologist or a dietitian or whatever the case may be. So it's, it's, it, it it's a, it's a different level of a look at acuity adaptability, but it's still bringing the care to that particular patient. Um, you know, we're seeing uh, evolutions in, in transplant clinics where, you know, you, you have a higher, you know, uh, focus in, in, in patient experience where, you know, you need to bring those, those the, the respective staff to, to the visits. Um, I think they're also the element that's, that's been interesting to see is the, the whole uh, car clinics and the, the drive-throughs and, you know, are, are, you know, what's the future of that going to look like where we might be able to dr literally drive up and, you know, the, they could pretty much do 90% of your diagnosis there and, you know, maybe say, okay, you need to go to, you know, a, a hospital or, or whatever the case may be. But um, I, I think that that's another, you know, operational opportunity for organizations to be smarter. Um, Cause obviously I think with the, the, the expansion of the digital front doors, you want to be able to 
bring the care to wherever the patient is and however they want it. And that's a really big, big journey, a big task, um, but it's valid. And I think we as all design designers and stewards of, of healthcare, I think that that's where, you know, asking these whys and, you know, it's, it's no longer that we can't do these things. I think we need to be pushing each other to, to, you know, look at it from an inpatient outpatient to say, you know, how, how our models are going to be different and what level of technology we can leverage as well. Yeah. So you brought up the digital front door, the car to clinics, that that's definitely something that we're hearing our clients talk about quite often and not even under the umbrella of acuity adaptability. It's, it's all about the, the, the patient experience, but mm-hmm. you know, what other design perspective, especially from the technology standpoint, if a client is coming to you saying, you know, I don't have the, the budget or I may not have the staff for to truly get to acuity adaptable, you know, what are some of those easy steps or easy approaches from a technology standpoint that you're, you're recommending your clients uh, evaluate? Um, we see a lot of organizations that they have a lot of those technologies in-house already. Um, and a lot of times they're not even maximizing it to a full extent. So um, at a very rudimentary level, it, it, it's a current state assessment and looking at it comprehensively and saying, what are all the technologies from building level controls to your EMR to um, you know, just how you're interfacing with your patients um, and understanding that and to see, you know, maybe there's low cost, low operational impact changes that can be made to get you onto that journey. And then subsequently, you know, build out a budget or a plan or a roadmap to saying, okay, this is the next level of things that you want to get to. Um, and I, I think that that's where, you know, we've been able to, to offer that value add services and probably the same thing on, on Aaron's side as well is that, you know, a lot of organizations are, and it's no disservice to them, that they're focused on what they know and they're keeping their lights on and they're, they just necessarily hasn't been challenged or saying, hey, let's look at our systems and see what more we can do out of it. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, so, Aaron, what does your, your gut tell you about this? You know, is it feasible that there is a realistic path from a clinical perspective to go down acuity adaptability? I certainly think there is, um, and and again, it's 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 so unique to each organization, um, the population that they serve, the um, they the ability of their infrastructure and their IT systems um, to really be able to implement a model that works for them. Um, and so, again, I think it's it's it, in order to be successful, though there, there's a lot of um, I mean, this doesn't happen overnight. And so it's not, it's looking at kind of what your current volumes are now, but then what's your plan for growth as well. And so as you're looking at your master plans and as you're looking on bringing on new services or, um, you know, new, new types of, um, uh, you know, either diagnoses or physicians, you know, that's going to bring in a different type of patient population. Um, you know, it's really looking, how do we kind of almost slow roll this so that we're building a model that works for today, but then also can be, um, scalable. Right. And so, um, I think those, you know, and we've seen organizations do them uh, successfully, and it, and oftentimes it's actually been, be to 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 really, it wasn't necessarily a hey we're going to do this because the research says to. It was within our organization, our population started to grow and change, and um, the nursing, you know, the the competencies of the nurses, you know, started to change, and the um, you know, the ability to use technology started to change, and so as we look at kind of where we were probably 10, 15 years ago, where we are now, it actually was really more of an evolution, uh-huh. right? And some of these, I think some of these organizations do this without even really knowing it, right? It's, hey, my patient is now a med surge patient, but, you know, they're going to go home 
later tomorrow or, you know, sometime tomorrow, like, why would we move them? Let's just leave them here. We'll just change our staffing ratio. You know, sometimes they do it actually without really even knowing it. And so, um, again, I think if, if an organization is considering it, certainly, you know, um, do a couple of pilots, see what works for them and, and see what the, the, you know, the culture of an organization is very unique. Um, but I do think it's, it's, it's a realistic, uh, you know, maybe if you're a, you know, if you're a thousand bed academic medical center, you might have not as much acuity adaptability. It may be a lot more service line specific. Um, so again, really looking at, and then really work, you know, talking to other organizations and seeing how they did it, you know, use, you know, the hospital administration world is a very small world. And so a number of organizations have written about it, are implementing it, have built new buildings, you know, and so talking to the, the other organizations who have gone through it and how they really looked into, you know, what was the information that they used to drive their decisions um, and really applying that and really scaling it to, you know, uh, their organization um, would be helpful. So I do think it's realistic, but it is going to be very unique to each organization. Yeah, sure, I, I, sure. Think, I think on that note too, is just, it's, it's engaging your community and in the patient population to understanding what we're all patients on this call or the, this podcast, right? So it's like, you know, I think just by the nature of consumerism and the evolution of, of, you know, wanting that care now, I think it's going to force, uh, force the hand a little bit to a certain extent, but um, but yeah, engaging the, the patients and the families uh, in their community, I think, is going to be a key element of those design considerations. No, that's a good point, Corey. I know sometimes we in the de design community need to put ourselves in that perspective that that we are the yep. people we're designing for. So, I guess one one final one. You know, obviously, this last year, twenty twenty, has been uh, the, the year of change and uh, you know adjustments. But you know, a year from now, how much change do you see having been made in the industry as a whole? What are some of those items that you're, you're seeing? I'll, I'll turn that to you first, Corey. A year from now? <laughs> uh, well, I, I guess selfishly, I think telemedicine is going to be uh, a mainstay. Um, I think there's also going to be a heavy focus on, um, and I know we always say that, but a really heavy focus on patient and caregiver experience. Um, obviously, the patient experience has always been the forefront of design, but uh, you know, I'm seeing personally a lot more input into the caregiver world and, and what you know, they and, and have been living and breathing through this this last year and, and spending hours upon hours in a very, very stressful environment. So what can we do to make them um, a little bit more comforted in the environment, um, leveraging different elements of technology and what have you. But um, I, I would I would say that you're, you're going to see a lot more of the digital front door experience, you know, their, your app integration, being able to do a heck of a lot more and then telemedicine both from a, an outpatient perspective, sitting at home, but also the inpatient. I think you're going to see, you know, the the you know the ability to have direct communications with your family members um, through the the footwall TV or the camera. Um, I mean, you saw that time and time again, where unfortunately people were were, were alone um, and really couldn't have the ability to to be with their loved ones in in a in a very you know uh, discomforting time. Aaron, from your perspective, you know, how much change do you foresee in the in the next uh, next year within the industry? In the next year, I think these wounds ha won't have healed yet. So I think yeah. there's going to be a lot of, um, and, and I think one of the one of the interesting things, and and I love what Corey said, um, and, and I think that decision making, I feel like in the past, as we look at implementing um, IT systems, or as we integration systems, and as we look at building universal rooms, right, it, the the cost was always seemed to be the decision maker, right? Mm -hmm. It was more expensive to do that. I think. In the, in the, at least in the, re, you know, near future, um, I think our decisions are going to be, instead of being cost driven, are going to be experience driven now, yeah. you know, because of what we just went through. Right. And so I think that the, 
you know, organizations that maybe struggled because they didn't have the infrastructure, they didn't have the systems because, and not necessarily, you know, that was a wrong decision at the time. It's just, there were different drivers for that decision. And so I think as we work with our clients and we start to help them understand what that future state could be, I think that the decision-making process is at least again, in the near future, it it may wear off over time, you know, (laughs) next 10 years or so. Um, But you know, I, I think that um, that it's going to be a different conversation that we're having with our clients um, that, you know, so I think that we will see a lot more disaster planning, flexibility, universal rooms, you know, those sorts of things that, you know, oftentimes were, were either, you know, value engineered or um, that, that, again, just for different reasons will now be kind of driven based on this most recent experience of ours that that is, you know, we're all kind of traumatized by. So. Yeah, t- totally agree that this last year has put a uh, different perspective uh, for, a, for a lot of us. And those conversations with clients have changed quite often. And, and a lot of people are bringing, bringing those experiences and that different perspective, which I think is going to help the industry overall. And, and we will see it. It's, within healthcare, it's always changing. Um, and that, that, is, that is not going to change here over the next five years. All right, you guys, I think we've reached a good ending point for today's episode. Mike, Corey, and Aaron, you guys have provided a really good discussion on this very important topic. Aaron, I want to thank you for, for joining us today. Your, your input has been uh, invaluable and uh, hope, to, uh, hope to have you back sometime. Thank you. This was so much fun. Good. Great. <laughs> and anyone who tuned in today, uh, if you have questions about anything, um, certainly you can reach out to uh, to us through our website, imegcorp.com. Simply go to our, our resources page. You'll find the podcast page where you can find me and reach out to me and I'll get you in touch with uh, anybody uh, that you've uh, listened to today, all these uh, experts. And also you can visit uh, Aaron's website which is clarkrn.com. Is that right? That's right. Thank okay. you. <laughs> okay, sure. And, um, and also uh, the, the IMAG podcast is now uh, available uh, on any uh, podcast app that you might use. So you can subscribe to it uh, just by going on the app and searching for the Future Built Smarter or IMAG Corp. And uh, we'd love to have you continue to listen to us. Um, and again, I want to I want to thank everybody who did tune in today, and uh, please spread the word about our podcast. And uh, hope you all have a a good rest of your day. Take care, everyone.